Well, this is the first I'm hearing of it being no shirt night. Um, Casey was just informing me. Um, so I'm actually going to let her explain what that means. Actually, I just Casey. heard about it too. I just heard about it in the chat. No shirt night. I don't, I don't know oh, what that's about. But it seems like all of it, none of us got the memo because we're all wearing clothes. Sorry. That's, that's, that's true. Uh, welcome back we'll to, to the show. Um, I am intimidated uh, tonight, not only for uh, our guest's educational background, he is a, a a powerhouse of smarts, as you'll hear in just a second. But <laughs> this is the this is the only time I've ever been in a stream where someone has had better hair than me. <laughs> <laughs> I told him uh, earlier uh, to get ready for it. Casey, why don't you uh, go ahead and introduce who we have and and um, his impressive resume? Oh, okay. Well, this is Andrew Seidel. Welcome. To the non-sex show. It's good to have Hello, you. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Of course. And for those of you who don't know, Andrew is a lawyer at FFRF, the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And I bother him on Twitter all the time with all of the injustices I find in the world. <laughs> I'm like, have there, you guys there. seen this? Have you, have you sent a letter? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. We have a lot of work to do. So it's understandable. And yes. it's not a bother at all. That's what we do. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about yourself or if you want me. I pulled up your bio on the Freedom From Religion Foundation, and we could embarrass you if you want. I, I mean, I'm I'm not going to talk about myself. So I think you, you need to read it. Yeah, you, you need want to read me to read it? Too. Okay. So Andrew is a constitutional attorney. Uh, he is the director of strategic response at the Freedom From Religion Foundation, and he's now an author, which is actually what he's coming on to talk about is his new book. Um, he graduated from uh, cum laude from Tulane with a Bachelor of Science in Neuroscience and Environmental Science and magna cum laude from Tulane Law School, where he was awarded the, I'm gonna, I'm gonna butcher this, Haber, Haber. J. McCarthy, Haber. Haber J. McCarthy Award um, for Excellence in Environmental Law. He also studied human rights and international law from, at the University of Amsterdam. And let's see what else. Has a Master of Laws at Denver University Stern, Sturm College of Law with a perfect GPA, which is crazy. I'm getting my master's degree right now and a perfect, a perfect GPA is insane. So good on you for that. Um, let's see. And now he's publishing a book, which is awesome. And I'm so excited about it. I pre-ordered it and I was supposed to have it today, but right. you have it. There you go. There you go. The founding myth. And so we're here to talk about that. What so, a resume. I'm excited to talk about it. Thank I know. you. He's amazing. Uh, that is a lot of education. Um, but what, what was your, uh, your, your motivation? Uh, a perfect GPA is something that <laughs> we've had many people on here um, with, uh, with impressive resumes also. But never have I heard the, the words perfect GPA. How did you maintain that? <laughs> I mean, an LLM is a master's of law. It's sort of a, it's an advanced law degree that you would get after your three-year JD if you wanted to specialize uh, or if you might want to go into teaching law. But it's only one year. So, I mean, it wasn't one year of taking law classes after three years of doing it is not, you know, once you've been doing it. And I was already a lawyer at that point. So, I don't know. It feels a little, it was a little unnecessary, but I have it and might as well throw it up there. So, <laughs> Absolutely. That's impressive. Uh, so, um, <laughs> before we before we jump into um, the uh, the book and the inspiration behind that, can you sort of tell us 
what you do at the um, Freedom from Religion Foundation? I would love to talk about that. So the Freedom from Religion Foundation is a national nonprofit. We are a membership-driven organization. We have th more than 30,000 dues-paying members. Uh, you know, that's not our mailing list. That's not people who follow us on Facebook. Those are people who actually donate their money every month to FFRF to support the work that we do. And the work that we do is we work to, number one, educate the public about what it is to be a non-believer in the United States, and number two, to keep state and church separate. So we work to educate and to separate. Those are our two primary goals. Basically, I took my law degree and I use it to stand up to religious bullies, to people who want to yeah. use a public office to promote their personal religion. That's what the nine lawyers at FFRF do every single day. And it's a really fun job. <laughs> it, it, uh, you're, you're, I, I, I would think that you're always in business, too. It seems like every time you turn around, there's a, a different case that is coming up. Is that accurate to say? I mean, that is 100 percent accurate. We get between four and five thousand legal complaints every single year. Now, not all of those are actionable complaints and some of those are, you know, multiple people reporting the same thing. Uh, but we do take action on between one and two thousand of those every year. You know, my, we try actually not to go to court to fix these things. Our primary resolution method is to educate. So for instance, if a teacher is forcing a kid to pray in their kindergarten class before they go down to lunch every day, which is a case that I worked on in Georgia, uh, we will first write a letter to that superintendent and say, hey, this is going on in your school district. You might not realize it. And it's really illegal and you need to fix it right now. Most of the time that does the job. And then we'll work with that school district. We've actually gone into school districts and done in-service teaching. We work to educate the school district's attorneys about what's legal and what's not legal and where those lines are. Uh, but if they ignore us or if they're recalcitrant the way this particular district I'm thinking of was, we will take them to court and then we will usually win. Not always, but our record, our record since the beginning of 2016 is, I think we are 14 and three right now on final court decisions. So yeah, we're doing pretty good. Um, what, what your success rate is, it seems to, that it would be pretty, pretty high because the law is in usually the, the favor of whoever's trying to keep church and state separate. Right now it is. We'll see what the Supreme Court does with it. But for the moment, yes, the law is in our favor and it's just a question of enforcing it. But about half those complaints that we get, I used an example in public school, and about half the complaints that we get do come out of public school systems. So it's, mm -hmm. it's a very, very common issue all across the country. So the three that uh, the three that uh, didn't go your way, um, just real quick, Casey, I'm just curious, like what, what, what in that case didn't um, like go through? What did the court find? The court got the, the law wrong. Courts get things wrong all the time. Yeah. Um, and judges in particular. You know, we often think of the federal court system and the Supreme Court in particular as these, these sort of these bastions and these defenders of civil rights. And really, that's not the case. More often than not, they follow the political will of the people. Um, you know, marriage equality is a great example. You can watch the court slowly evolve on marriage equality as the American people evolved on that issue. Um, the court doesn't drive change. The court sort of 
rubber stamps change after it's already happened. Usually, uh, there are exceptions in our history. The Warren Court, the 15 years of the Warren Court, uh, were very formative, um, and you know had some of the best decisions that really did force social change. Brown versus Board was one of those. Um, but for the most part, courts aren't on the 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 sharp end of social change. It's the people. Makes sense. All right, Casey. So you said uh, you have there are cases that come from all over the country, and oh, yeah. I wonder because I'm a because I'm a Bible Belt I'm a Bible Belt person. I live in Alabama, <laughs> which Carolina. you know. Um, but yes, so do you find more cases come from that area, or really is it? <clears throat> Probably per capita. Yeah, there's a larger concentration. But, you know, for instance, Mississippi is one of the it is the most religious state in the nation. But we get really, really few complaints out of there um, for two reasons. One, there's just not as many people there. But two, the people who do yeah. live there and are free thinking are often pretty damn scared to step forward and say, hey, this is going on in my town. I mean, we've seen really egregious violations that we could have won even in a Mississippi state court we could have cured, but the people won't do anything to beyond us writing a letter. They won't take the case to court because they are genuinely terrified of what might happen if they do. Um, so, I mean, and we see, we do see a lot, a lot of complaints even coming out of California, obviously a lot out of Texas, just cause there's a lot of people in those places, but yeah, you'd be surprised. I mean, the mm -hmm. Rust Belt also has quite a few complaints. Um, and it changes up more often than you, you would, you would imagine. Um, you know, Ohio, Michigan, Michigan's usually pretty bad. Um, so Pennsylvania is a hotbed, surprisingly, but there you go. And Florida. What's, yeah. what's been the, um, Florida, uh, Florida's a separate uh, issue all by itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Flor Florida <laughs> man strikes me in all the time at, on the FFRF <laughs> reporting page. So I believe that. I so believe that. Um, uh, one last question before we move uh, over to the book. What's been the most shocking case to you? that you've oh, either worked man. on or you heard while you've been in the um, FFRF? That's pretty hard. I mean, first of all, I all, about every four months, we get something where I'm like, well, now I've definitely heard it all. There's not, we're never going to get a complaint at FFRF where I haven't finally heard everything. Like this is, this is the worst one. Um, but I'm, I'm still shocked by and it's actually it's getting worse right now because partly because of the topic of my book, because Christian nationalists are so emboldened under the Trump administration. They see their talking points parroted from the highest office in the land. They see these more than 100 federal judges being rammed into the federal judiciary. And they are they are emboldened in a way that we haven't seen before. So we're not seeing uh, in uptick in the number of complaints at FFRF, but in the severity of those complaints, it does seem to be going up. They do seem to be getting worse. And the, the people who are violating the law, who are violating students' First Amendment rights, for instance, certainly seem both more emboldened and more entitled to do so, not that they should be. Um, you know, one of the worst cases that, that we ever handled actually was, was out of <clears throat> A, st a state in the South. And I've started a couple of my talks with this, but this was a, a woman who had three children in the public school system and they were being bullied both by teachers and by fellow students. Um, and because the teachers were engaging in this bullying and essentially making fun of these kids for, 
for not joining in on the prayers that they shouldn't have been having and not standing for the pledge and not taking part in certain Christmas activities and things like that. Um, the kids were taking their cues from the teacher and bullying. And I mean, it got, it got violent and the school district was just not interested in doing anything. I mean, you're, you're uh, one, the, the daughter's head was slammed into a concrete wall and the school district just shrugged its shoulders. Um, that was probably the one that made me the most angry. Um, and I, I got talked down from um, really, really hammering this school district from one of my fellow attorneys. Um, but they, they ended up in the long run, they ended up doing the right thing. And that family was very grateful. And it was, you know, I mean, it was a wonderful thing to be able to help this woman and her three kids in a, in a very real and concrete way. And that's what we try to do at FFRF. Uh, but it, it's one of those ones that I, that I will never forget. Uh, and it, it, it really does kind of stick with me. Wow, that um, that it, uh, we have a um, a really good friend, um, Jimmy. He runs the Mister Atheist, um, YouTube channel, and um, his brother attends a school where there's this sort of like off group of kids that call themselves the uh, the the new KKK. They're like the the kids Klux Klan. They're a really like a hateful group, and um, they were hanging up all of these um really anti-gay posters and stuff around the school, you know, that the school would take them down. And he was saying that the school, uh, like told the students, they weren't allowed to wear any kind of pro like pride, um, shirts or anything like that. Cause you didn't want to entice the, the angry group of the, the, the racist, you know, fear mongering kids. Like they were, they were oh, yeah. capitulating to, to the assholes. Sure. Right. No problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's, you know, that's blaming the woman who was raped for dressing provocatively or whatever they whatever it is the, they try to say. I mean, that, that and that that certainly shouldn't happen. But and and school districts can be liable in those cases for not dealing with the bullying. Uh, and sure. it, and it gets extreme. I mean, the, the in the case that I'm talking about, you know, what the other kid was one of the youngest kid was surrounded on the playground uh, by four kids. They were pushing him, shoving him and they threatened to cut off his fingers and his toes and gouge out his eyes and then hang him by his neck until he confessed that Jesus Christ was his Lord and Savior. And these are, these are kids in Who elementary school. So you, you know where they're getting that from. They're not, I mean, they're not coming up with that on their own. They're getting it from church and they're getting it from their parents. And then they're bringing it into the public school system and bullying people who are different and don't believe like they do. Uh, and uh, school wasn't doing anything about it. I mean, it's it's not that one's one of the ones again that sticks in my mind. But it's not uncommon to see things like this, and it's getting it's more insane. common under Trump. The Trump the Trump effect there is actually a, a phrase to describe it. I would be in a perpetual state of like fury if I had your job. I would be mad all the time. I'm mad a lot anyway yeah. because you know I'm an atheist activist. Mad is what I do. I'm an anti. <laughs> But like, I would just, I don't, I don't even know how I would manage. I really don't. I hear, I mean, I hear terrible stories from people um, sending private messages or just messages to our social media stuff all the time. And it just, and news stories and everything else. And it makes me so mad and so sad. And if I had your job, I, I think that would be tenfold. But here's the cool thing is that you guys actually do something about it. And mm -hmm. that's one reason why. I'm a dues-paying member of the FFRF, and I love the FFRF. And I think if you can afford to, if you have some extra money, the FFRF is a great organization, and you should definitely go and um, 
be a dues paying member for sure. Yeah, we we certainly need all the support we can get in this climate. And you, and you're right. I mean that that's it is an it, it does induce anger again all the time, but we win and we get to help people. We are standing up to these religious bullies uh, on a daily basis and you know, I mean we we had uh more than a win a day last year. I can't remember what the number was, but it averaged out to more than a win a day. I mean, we are able to stop these violations. And it, when you can do that and you can help these people who are coming to you, uh, it, it really does make a huge difference. And I wouldn't wouldn't want to do anything else uh, with my law degree. And I will say, too, while we certainly appreciate people paying their dues at FFRF, I mentioned that we have 30,000 members at the top of the show. You know, that is actually our membership role is, is a big part of how how we can accomplish what we do. You know, if I write a letter saying, well, we represent 300 members or 3000 members or 30,000 members that joining your voice to FFRFs makes us much more powerful and able to force social change. It makes us more influential. And really we want people to join, to become members so that we can have that bigger voice and make the change that we all want to see in this world. It's fantastic. So what was the, um, the, the, the founding myth, why Christian, um, nationalism, oh man, is un-American. Yeah, it's un-American. Um, un-American. Yes. Here we go. Uh, it, it, <laughs> my, my iPad just died on me, uh, <laughs> so, um, but what was the inspiration behind why you wrote, decided to write this book? That's a good question. I've actually, I've been working on the book for about 10 years, really. But even before I started at FFRF, this was an argument that I was interested in. Um, and it, unfortunately, and slash kind of luckily for me, it's become more relevant now than ever before, because Donald Trump rode Christian nationalism into the highest office in our land. Uh, you know, if you look, if you looked at Christian nationalism in, before 2016, it was sort of this impotent sideshow, right? It was David Barton screaming to a bunch of fundies on the far conservative side of the spectrum. They weren't able to get much accomplished legislatively. They were having a little bit of influence um, with some in the legal field, with some of the courts, with some particular judges, but really not doing that much. But now Christian nationalism is driving public policy. It's driving our education policy, immigration policy, civil rights, women's rights, minority rights, LGBTQ rights. I mean, even our foreign policy, the move uh, uh, of the embassy to Israel was based on these Christian nationalist ideas. Judges are deciding cases on the basis of the lies and myths that underlie Christian nationalism. It's not just culture war issues. And I mean, put simply, these lies, the idea that we're a Christian nation and founded on Judeo-Christian principles, they're destroying our country. They're gnawing away at our liberty. And I think that we, the people, have a duty to stand up to those lies and to the bullies pushing them. And that's why I wrote this book. Why, why is it that you think that, um, because if you look at Trump, uh, Trump doesn't in any way, shape or form, uh, in my opinion, sort of in encapsulate what evangelicals or uh, the, the, you know, the Christian nations are go go for. You know, he doesn't have uh, I don't know if he has any values except for himself and uh, and money. Uh, so, like, why are they sort of folding behind Trump? So so like steady. I mean, they're, they're with him. And I've seen pictures of, of, of uh, people making these images with Jesus, like with his arms wrapped around Trump sitting at the, uh, 
<laughs> uh, yeah. the desk in the Oval Office. Yeah, I know what you're office. talking about. Yeah, talking about. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. They're crazy. Well, I mean, and 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 that's a tough question, and a lot of demographers and social scientists are asking the question. Uh, Andrew Whitehead out of Clemson did some really interesting research, though, and he looked at the 2016 election data, and he wanted to see who, what was the biggest factor that would determine whether or not somebody was a Trump voter? Was it their political party? Was it what particular denomination they adhered to? Um, was it whether or not they were a racist? And and none of those things was as accurate a predictor as whether or not the person was a Christian nationalist. And a Christian nationalist is just some, simply somebody who believes that the United States was founded as a Christian nation, built on Judeo-Christian principles, and that it needs to return to that foundation. And that indicator was the number one most highly correlated thing with a Trump voter, somebody who is a Christian nationalist. And I, I think I think the evangelicals really we're, we're talking about them as a block, but it, it's not there's just such an overlap between the evangelicals and the Christian nationalists that we really ought to be talking about the Christian nationalists supporting Trump. And they do it because he gives them everything that they want. And he is he's getting better and better and better at employing their rhetoric at say at repeating the myths and the lies. Uh, if you watch his, especially when he's talking at like Liberty university or at the conservative political action conference, you know, these type of things, he is really in there just regurgitating all the different talking points, uh, that mm -hmm. Ben Franklin offered a prayer at the constitutional convention that in the declaration of independence, the founders referenced our creator, four times, which is completely untrue. Um, all these different myths and lies are just, he trots them out over and over and over again. And those are the, often the lines that get him the biggest cheers. Who do you think though, uh, like with, with, let's say, um, let's say hypothetically, um, if, if there was an instance where Trump was either removed from office or, you know, something happens and he is not no longer present. Is Pence, in your opinion, like a scarier threat to uh, like this movement to sort of like encouraging this movement? Or, you know, is Trump our better option out of the two in that case? I mean, a couple different things. One, Pence has been very clear that he's a Christian nationalist, too. He opened his. Uh, acceptance speech at the Republican National Convention and many of his speeches. This is one of his favorite lines where he says, I am a Christian, a conservative and a Republican in that order. I think that's the line. Uh, somebody can check me on yeah. it. But uh, so he makes it very clear that he is a Christian first and that that's how he wants to govern. And he showed us that uh, while he was running, trying to run Indiana. And he shows up quite a bit at the beginning of the book when I am explaining what Christian nationalism is and why it's a threat. Um, to kind of go back and step back for a second, though, to the the kind of, I think, the, the buried question in there is, to me, I don't think we ought to be thinking, is this person, is this next person who's going to take over for Trump a good reason should we leave Trump in office because we're more worried about the next person? Uh, I think that that question about Trump has to stand alone on its own. I don't think it should be subject to a political calculus like that. I think it, there's a constitutional duty to ensure that the president upholds certain norms and standards. And I don't think that Trump is doing that. I do think he should be impeached. And I don't think we should worry about how Pence is going to do. However, I also will say that Pence is kind of the devil that we know. Um, he is uh, he's 
no different than George W. Bush, uh, whereas Trump is this unpredictable time bomb who could go off at any minute, uh, possibly, you know, explosively. Uh, so I, I would I'd rather fight Pence than Trump. So um, Casey and I uh, uh, both. Wait, and can, uh, I, can I just sorry, can I just say real sure. quick, that's just Andrew's sure. personal opinion. I am not the. Freedom from Religion Foundation is not a political organization. That was just Andrew speaking from my own living room in my personal capacity right there. Sure, yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, so Casey and I, obviously, um, we, uh, we've both ordered the book. And um, because we haven't, uh, uh, we haven't gotten it yet, we are um, going to let you sort of take us through um, the actual book and sort of uh, let you kind of guide us through. But what, I want to start off by, by asking this question. Do you think it's more accurate to say um, I heard a quote one time, and I thought it was really good in regards to this um, sort of this issue that America is um, not a Christian nation, but a nation of Christians. There's a, a, a distinction there in that it's not a, a nation that is founded on Christian values, but it, it's mainly made up of a, uh, a sort of a Christian population. Yeah, and uh, there was actually a Supreme Court justice who wrote a line that's been heavily misquoted, uh, Justice Brewer, uh, and he kind of backtracked to sort of say something very, very similar. He said, actually, I didn't mean that we were a Christian nation in the sense that we were founded on Christianity. I just mean that there are a lot of Christians, and culturally there are a lot of Christian things going on, which of course is true but is not relevant to America's legal or constitutional or governmental identity, and it's not really the argument that anybody is trying to have. And it also doesn't reflect the reality, for instance, at the founding. There's there's statistics floating around that, uh, you know, but somewhere between 10 and 15 percent of the country was, quote, churched at the time of uh, the revolution. So it wasn't like these people were these de devout believers at that time, even just the general populace. Um, and America really did go through, I mean, the Second Great Awakening is this very popular age of American history after the founding. And as I point out in the book, you know, for there to have been a second great awakening, it means that that the people were asleep, right? It means that they weren't Christian to have to all of them all of a sudden convert to this Christianity and have this great awakening. It means that they weren't at one point in time, which the only point in time before that was our founding. Um, so even that argument, I think, kind of falls a little bit flat. But it also it's mm -hmm. irrelevant to the point, because what Chris, Christian nationalists goal here is it's really to redefine what it is to be an American. They want to make it so that if to be an American, you have to first be a Christian. It's like Mike Pence says at the beginning of his speeches. That is the goal. Uh, and Patriotism has no religion, and our our constitution separates state and church for a very, very good reason. And that is the kind of fight that we are we are going to have, and that's what this book is trying to arm people for. So, what are the biggest um, the, sort of the biggest uh, misconceptions when it comes to how America <laughs> was founded that you uh, that, that you discuss in the book? I mean, there are two. Well, so first, let me just step back and say there are a lot of really good books on the Christian nation myth out there. Uh, and I think probably a lot of your listeners and viewers can even maybe even feel like they can debunk this Christian nation idea on their own. So I want to point out there's kind of two big differences in my book from the other books out there and and that it will actually add to your ability to argue this, even if you think you're familiar with it. And the, the first is that 
as soon as we debunk the Christian nation myth, which again, I think probably a lot of your listeners feel confident that they can do, that myth is then abandoned in favor of this more nebulous claim, right? Well, I didn't actually mean that we were founded as a Christian nation, I meant that we were founded on Judeo-Christian principles. So my book focuses on that second myth. And I did that because it pervades all the other myths that are out there in the Christian nationalist uh, argument arsenal. If America is not founded on Judeo-Christian principles, it's obviously not a Christian nation. And while other authors uh, and attorneys and uh, competent arguers have rebutted the first fiction, nobody's done the second fiction. So what I did in the book was I actually compared Judeo-Christian principles to the principles on which our nation was founded. I compared the Bible to the Constitution. I compared the Ten Commandments to the Ten Amendments. Uh, and I go through a lot of American history and law in the process. And basically, my central thesis is I argue not only that America was not founded on these Judeo-Christian principles, but that those principles, and especially the ones that Christian nationalists hold so dear, those principles are so opposed to the values on which our nation was founded that it's fair to say that Christian nationalism is un-American. And that's kind of the central difference, I think, between my book and some of these other ones out there. And the second one is my approach. Previous books and previous arguments, have they've offered kind of a gentle correction to the Christian nationalists. You know, here's what history tells us, and here's what the founders said, and here's what they actually meant, and they kind of leave it at that. But correction is definitely not enough. Otherwise, we would not have President Donald Trump. So I actually go on the offensive. My goal is to completely destroy and undermine every myth and lie that undergirds this un-American political ideology. So those are kind of the two big differences, I think, between between mine and some of the other arguments and books out there. And if you want me to walk through some of the more specifics, I would be happy to do that. Absolutely. I think that would be um, that'd be great. And I, like, I'd like to ask you, like, bef before you do that, um, when you yeah. say in the, in the tagline of your, your book that um, – Christian nationalism is un-American. Some, I think, would say that's a that's a bold statement. I think it's an accurate statement. So. But how do you how do you um, how would you back that up? Like, what would be the the one thing that you would say points to this being something that's absolutely un-American? I think the the, the principles of Judeo Christianity they are in fundamental conflict with the principles that we hold most dear. You know. And I really do go at pains to, to point this out in the book. But if, let's just look at the Ten Commandments. The first commandment, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? That law is fundamentally opposed to the freedom of religion that even Christian nationalists hold dear. Right? It says that you can't, literally cannot worship other gods, which is one of the most fundamental rights that we have in this country. I think it's perfectly fair to call that un-American. Not only is it fair to say that, I think we have to say that. I, mean, I understand why the word un-American would make some people squeamish because there's that inherent value judgment in it, but we are in a fight for our values. Christian nationalism is warping and torturing those values. It's dragging our country down this dark hole. And if we hesitate to describe it with apt phrases because they might be a little unpleasant, then we are ceding that American identity to an imposter. So to refuse to Absolutely. hold that which is antithetical to America is to watch Christian nationalists hijack our nation, and I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna stand by and watch that. I completely agree. And what it reminded me of um, reading that was the uh, the the 
the, the line that Christopher Hitchens used in his book, um, how religions poisons everything. That, that was an equally, you know, bold statement. And to me, I, I see the similarity there. It, it's, it, it grabs your attention, but it's accurate and something that I think needs to be said. So um, I'm glad you went with such a, such a statement. I think it's necessary. Okay. Now right. walk us through your, uh, the, the points in, um, in the book that you think really need to be driven home. So the book is kind of divided broadly and after the introduction and the the preface, which Dan Barker wrote, and then the foreword, which Susan Jacoby was kind enough to write, I kind of broke it down into four basic parts. And the first part sort of goes over a lot of the stuff that happened at the founding, the during the colonial period in American history. It's the arguments that you kind of can't avoid when you're having this debate. The religion of the founding fathers. Were they religious? Were they deists? Does it matter even? Uh, and my, my hypothesis is that stop having this argument. It doesn't matter. What matters more is how they viewed the separation of state and church. That is by far the most important thing. Um, I look at the Declaration of Independence because this is constantly thrown back in our face. Um, you will hear the other side say that the Declaration uh, says that our rights come from our creator, uh, which is our creator is a phrase that's actually not used in the Declaration of Independence. It's their creator, which is a subtle but significant difference. Christian nationalists are not known for their subtlety. Um, so I actually, I actually walk through every one of the references in the Declaration of Independence and, and kind of explain those. And then some of the other things that you constantly hear from the other side, like, well, they prayed at the Constitutional Convention. No, they didn't. And here's what you're, here's how you're warping and distorting history. So that's kind of the first chunk of the book. The second chunk is the Bible versus the United States, you know, I kind of made that into sort of like a joking case name. And it really focuses on those principles. So I, I've said that I've said the phrase Judeo-Christian principles a number of times. And the question is, well, I mean, what is a Judeo-Christian principle? And, and part of the reason I think that that this claim has never <laughs> been tested is because, because nobody knows what it is. Like, right? Like what? It's this vague nebulous term that could be, it could mean anything. Um, so we've, I, I took, I took the time to kind of tease that out. And if really what, what they mean is principles that you can find in the Bible. Mm. So I looked at those and teased those out and then I compared them to America's founding principles, things mm. like hell, um, vicarious redemption through human sacrifice, even the golden rule I threw in there. And I look at whether or not they are Judeo-Christian principles and how they may or may not have influenced the founding. Um, so part three then goes to the 10 commandments, which was my favorite part of the book. And you mentioned Christopher Hitchens and he was kind of the inspiration. This book actually started back in 2009. I was just going to write a law review article on <clears throat> 10 commandments monuments and the idea that the 10 commandments influenced our, our founding. And Hitchens wrote an article for Vanity Fair uh, where he rewrote the Ten Commandments. And that kind of inspired me to start writing this law review article, which eventually became this book. Um, but I go through each of the Ten Commandments, uh, and then I compare them to America's founding principles, too. And that was, that's kind of, I mean, it's hard to pick a favorite part of my book, a uh, part of the book, but that is because Hitchens kind of inspired it, that, and it was sort of the beginning, that that might be my favorite section. Um, fun cool fact, story. how many Ten Commandments are there, guys? Do you know? Ooh, how many what? I heard this. I heard this one time. There's like, there's like, I want to, I want to say 
Is it in the 60s? Well, I mean, it depends. Depends. I mean, the first question that you should ask anybody who says, well, you know, that who makes the claim that our nation was founded on the Ten Commandments? You got to ask them which which Ten Commandments. Um, first, because different religions number them differently, different religions interpret them differently. But even just in any given Bible, there are four different sets of Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, Exodus 34, Deuteronomy 5, and Deuteronomy 27. They're all different sets of the quote-unquote supposed to be same Ten Commandments. And the first set, which is Exodus 20, this is the one that everybody thinks of. This is the Charlton Heston coming down off the mountain commandments. Mm. Um, those aren't even called the Ten Commandments. It's the second set in Exodus 34 that are called the Ten Commandments that end with the stricture against boiling a kid in its mother's milk. And that's a baby goat kid, not an actual kid. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> given what happens in the Bible, <laughs> you could be forgiven for thinking otherwise. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so point being, you know, most of these people, and we're talking Supreme Court justices here, don't even realize that there are these different sets of commandments, let alone that different religions say, well, murder is prohibited versus killing, um, which are uh, actually pretty different things. If you can't kill somebody, uh, even killing in self-defense would be prohibited. Whereas if you can't murder somebody, then you would be allowed to kill in self-defense. So kind of important differences there. Huge differences. Um, I think that's a, that's a, that's a very good point. I never thought about it um, that way. I'd always heard that. Um, and some people were putting it in the live chat that all in total, the, the different laws that they sort of put out there is uh, quite a few people have said, yeah, that's what I was going to say. People have said 613. Yeah, that's that's the mitzvah. And I mean, if you go through those, I mean, it's very clear that they didn't have any influence on the American founding. Um, I was charitable in the book and did not go through all 613, both both charitable to the reader and to Christian nationalists. So I only did the Ten Commandments that are not called the Ten Commandments uh, from Exodus 20. Yeah, um, I think do, do you do you speak any of um, uh, I believe it was um, Madison that had the treaty where he said that uh this nation is not founded or this america is not in any way a um a christian nation yeah so yeah that's the treaty of tripoli uh, and it says america was not in any sense founded on the christian religion it is an admirably clear statement uh it's very useful in these debates but it can also get thrown back in your face and you know it's just it's a single phrase from that time i mean it's it's great because it's from a treaty that was negotiated under george washington um uh, voted on unanimously by the U.S. Senate and signed into law by John Adams. So it's a really powerful argument in our favor. But really, I only touch on that in the introduction uh, because this book is digging so much deeper and we're going so much mm -hmm. – we're doing so much more on the argument side that you, that, that is just – you don't even need it when you get it – when you really get into it. And, to, and sure. part of, that's part of the – I think the point of my book is it's not – you. we can get lost in – having a fight over the facts and we're not necessarily going to convince somebody by by regurgitating the treaty of tripoli to them but if we go after their values as un-american and their identity as un-american and the things they are saying as unpatriotic for instance then you are going to have an impact and you are going to start getting them to think about it certainly a lot more than you might otherwise uh, and particularly if you can convince that middle chunk of the country that this side is un-American and is a is a threat to what it means to be an American, then you're really starting to make some progress. So that's what this book seeks to do.
So I'm going to ask uh, one more question, then Casey. I'm all, um, uh, I've been talking for a while. I'm going to let you um, ask some questions. But um, what would you say, if anything, would be the other side's best case <laughs> for um, for why America is a uh, has you know was founded on Christian principles? Do they even have one, or is it just completely? They do, actually. Uh, and I do make some concessions in the book to that fact. Um, really, because really the argument they want to have is did they want to argue that Judeo-Christian principles positively influenced the founding of the United States? And that's the argument that they can't make. You can make the argument that Judeo-Christian principles influenced the founding of the United States. And there's two big uh, glaring areas of our history that should stand out to anybody who, who's familiar with it. One is slavery. Um, I mean, there's no doubt that Christianity and Christian principles played a huge role in the way this country dealt or rather failed to deal with slavery. Uh, and the second one is our treatment of women, half the population um, subjugated for the vast majority of our history because of Christian principles. Uh, and that's an argument I'm perfectly willing to make on their behalf, even if they don't want to hear it. Awesome. All right, Casey. <laughs> well, so um, Dave, I, I sent Dave a, a picture. I was actually looking up some of this today. Um, I also think that Christianity in general, it, well, religion, religion in general, I think is a threat globally, um, but especially Christian nationalism in the United States, because it, it really bothers me that they keep trying to force their judeo-christian values <laughs> into our law and it's very oh, frustrating yeah. so i i happened to find a poll uh dave will you put the poll up that i found so i happened no. to find this uh it was uh conducted in march huh it was the morning consult yeah. poll yeah yeah have you seen this oh yeah 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 so, absolutely it says that nearly half of voters think that christian nationalism is a threat which is i think is great um, because, you know, I want people who are voting to have some sense. Um, but it's interesting because you can tell the differences between, um, like, registered voters in general, but then Democrats and Republicans. Like, only 10% of Republicans think that, well, 35%, we'll put the two together, think that um, it's a threat, that Christian nationalism is a threat to our country. Um, but you can see so much more, so many more Democrats are, are seeing that. And so I just, I found this little, this poll to be pretty interesting. Um, what do you think I about did too. it? First of all, I think, I think it's great. I actually, I'm, I was surprised when I, because I've been writing about this for 10 years, you know, Christian nationalism, that phrase, calling somebody a Christian nationalist, nobody really knew about that uh, because it was this right. impotent sideshow. So the fact that now almost half the country thinks it's a threat uh, is to me a really excellent sign that we are moving in the right direction. And because we do need people to wake up because I think it is probably one of the premier threats 
to our the fabric of our nation to the to those founding values uh so i think it's a good sign i think it's not surprising that it there's that you see that heavy party split because christian nationalists tend to adhere to the party that caters to their whims and to their rhetoric uh and right now that is the republican party hands down um not to say that there aren't democrats who who fall into some of these traps as well but nothing uh to the level that you see on the other side for sure Definitely. And I mean, you do. You, I I live in the South. And so I have a lot of this Christian nationalism um, surrounding me. And even even more on top of that, I work on a military installation. So you yeah. have it's just it's it's really strange. And um, so people get into they, they don't really have work boundaries where you know, things you don't talk about at work are like religion. <laughs> they don't have yeah. those boundaries. So they talk about it all the time. But um, one thing that I think is interesting um, and that we've run into down here is the in God we trust issue. Now, a lot of Christians will have said that it's not a declaration of faith, but I don't see how it cannot be. What do you think about that? I mean, it absolutely is a declaration of faith, and it was it was very clearly meant as a declaration of faith. So first of all, I have an entire uh, I don't think I actually finished, but the last chapter of my book I call Argument by Idiom, and it goes over. um the so help me God that's added on to to oaths. Uh, it goes into God bless America, one nation under God, and in God we trust. And I think probably most people, including yourself, probably can say, look, none of that's from the founding era. So obviously we weren't founded on those phrases. But we can actually go a step farther and we can show, yeah, it wasn't, they're not from the founding era. But when those phrases were forced on the rest of America, it was done so by Christian nationalists who were taking advantage of times of national fear and strife to deliberately impose their religion on other people. So it's not just that they're not from the founding era. It's that when this was done, it was done knowingly. It was meant to force religion onto everybody else. And it was done so at a time when people couldn't really fight back. Um, 1863 and four was kind of the height of the Civil War. The 1950s was uh, the height of the Red Scare. And I go, so I go over all this um, in part four of the book. But <clears throat> in God We Trust is, I mean, it, it's, it says it right there in the four words. It's not hard to parse right. those four words and figure out that it is a statement of faith in a God. Uh, you were literally trusting in that God. Uh, and there's a vast amount of hypocrisy built into the way Christians talk about this phrase. And you, you hit it kind of right on the head. And I've written uh, one of the most popular things I've ever written was, um, I think it was titled, The Christian Hypocrisy of In God We Trust. And I, I go over how courts in this country uphold the phrase on our public buildings and on our money because they say through rote repetition, the phrase has lost all religious significance, which is it's complete and utter nonsense. They're basically saying that, look, it's no longer a religious phrase. It's a secular phrase, which is it is complete and utter nonsense. And it's rank hypocrisy. If they tried to do that with praying the rosary or saying that John 316 uh, lost all of its religious significance because Christians can't keep repeating it, there would be an outcry and rightfully so. But because it promotes the belief uh, using the government that Christians and the majority of the country agrees with right now, everybody on that side is okay with it. And that's not okay by me. 
Yeah, me either. I've, I've always found that particularly interesting that, and I, and I never really have understood the argument. And from a legal perspective, I, that's even more frustrating because, you know, I don't know, you feel like they should, I don't expect a judge to use the same kind of stupid ass apologetics as some idiot on the internet. You know what I mean? Like you don't yeah. expect that to but happen, it's, but it's important to, it's important to remember, remember that judges are not, they are not the drivers of social policy and change. They, they stamp it after it's already happened. Um, so it, I mean, it's, it, I think it surprises people that judges buy into this nonsense, but it's also one of the reasons, you know, I, I wrote this book because it, these ideas are working them are, are working their way into judicial opinions on the se separation of state and church in, in pretty alarming ways. So why do you suppose that it's from, from a social perspective, um, non-religious like people who are nuns non-religious people um that demographic is increasing while mm -hmm. religious demographics in the united states are kind of decreasing so why do you suppose that the that people are getting these things into the law how is it that it's happening more now is it like the death throes oh absolutely and that's a, that's a phenomenal question it's something that we talk about in the ffrf office all the time that I've, I've been thinking about a lot personally. I think, and I think you kind of hit it right there at the end. Yes. Um, this is, this is the, they are raging against the dying of their privilege. That's how I continue to put it. Um, they see that they are failing to convert and keep the younger generation in church. They, they recognize that the end is near, uh, for their supremacy. And I think they are terrified of that. And you are seeing these kind of I think the death throes is a great way to do it. They're taking their, the last gaps to push everything they can into the law and on the rest of the country. And one of the ways they're doing that is by forcing all these judges into the federal judiciary. Um, but yes, that, that's why it's, it's, they're raging against the dying of their privilege. That's one thing that scares me a lot is how many judges are being appointed right now. And it's, it's, it's really kind of alarming and, and I don't, there's really not a whole lot that we can do about it. I don't think. Um, I mean, call call from, your senators, especially if they're Republican. I mean, it, it, people don't think that reaching out and making contacting their elected official matters. But the only thing that an elected official cares about is getting reelected. So they listen when people tell them to do or not do things. And the more people that tell them not to do something, the more they're going to listen. I mean, if you are scared about this, go to your senator's local office. They have offices all around the state. Set up an appointment. Tell them you want them to stop appoint, uh, voting for Trump's judges. I mean, and if, you know, 10 or 15 people did that at each office, you, that would have an impact. Uh, we have a number of staffers who have worked in congressional offices at FFRF over the years, and and they the members of Congress get headcounts every day of who's called on what issue and did they support it and were they against it? And it, it does make a difference. Uh, even you could even convince somebody not necessarily to vote against the judge, maybe, but maybe to not be in town for a vote. Uh, there, there, are, it can have an impact. And I think one of the biggest, one of the biggest weapons for the other side is political apathy and getting people to say, it's pointless. I know how my senator, I know how my congressman or woman is going to vote, so it's pointless. Uh, that is one of the most potent weapons for the other side. 
Well, I get, I know I get told a lot and, and we, we regularly write our um, Congress people here. We usually just Good. get, if we get anything back, it's usually just a shitty form, like a dumbass yeah. letter. They're, they're like, well, we don't really care what you think. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but honestly, I mean, but that, that's to be expected. That's what, that's what you get. And you know, if you like, so in person is better than calling, calling is better than emailing. Um, well, writing a letter, I guess we could throw in between calling and emailing. Um, but you're not gonna, you probably are just going to get a polite, you know, thank you. Uh, we'll take it under advisement, but that's not, yeah. that doesn't mean that it's not having some measurable impact that you don't get to see. And especially the more people that do it. Um, and it really is crucial. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise people wouldn't say you don't have a voice. Uh, they wouldn't be trying to convince you that it, that it, it's useless to do. And we oh, wouldn't yeah, be spending are, all this, this, these resources trying to convince you otherwise. <laughs> Good point. People in Alabama all the time to uh, tell me that I don't really need to go vote because my vote doesn't count because I'm a Democrat. And I'm like, mm, I'm going to do it anyway. And, and it is, it's the worst thing ever. Everyone should vote. Everyone should vote. No matter what you're going to vote, I think everybody should vote because when everybody votes, then we get really kind of more of what the people really want. And um, so I, it's, I think it's really, really important. And, um, when, uh, we had the, uh, Senate special election, we got Doug Jones in. So, in yeah, so I'm, you know, we managed to do something. I mean, that, but, that makes a huge, that makes a huge difference too. I, I really will never understand the idea that pl thinking that you are politically powerless and acting on that is the only way that you are politically powerless. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy and it's exactly, it's literally exactly what the other side is hoping. I mean, think of the lengths that, that people are going to, to make sure that other people cannot vote. I mean, it, it's a massive push in this country to, to get people to show IDs, to ban certain buses and vans and stuff from the poll. You see it all, all over the country. I was, I've been a poll watcher in Wisconsin for a couple elections now. I mean, there, it's a desperate attempt to make sure that people can't exercise their right to vote. And the only reason that's happening is because it is powerful and important for people to get out there and vote. Otherwise, they wouldn't be trying to take it away from you. Yeah. Can can we shift real quick to another topic? Yeah, because I gotta, I, saw I gotta get off that soapbox. I'm sorry. No, no, that was great. <laughs> Fine. That was that was fantastic. Yeah, I think I think voting is super important. So if you're gonna sit there and mm -hmm. talk about it and how awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I I saw an article today that that really um upset me a little bit. What do you think about um heartbeat bills? Do you you want to yeah. weigh in on heartbeat oh. bills? Oh. Yeah, I mean they. We got I me. Mean, we have a big problem with this is another area in the country, and it's a really it is tied to Christian nationalism as well. Um, they they should yeah. absolutely be unconstitutional. Uh, um, they they currently are unconstitutional. Uh, my fear is that with the current Supreme Court, you are going to see Roe versus Wade eaten away at over the next few years and probably overturned. Um, I was having lunch with Jeffrey Stone, who's a professor at the University of Chicago. Uh, he wrote a book called Sex and the Constitution, which is this really fascinating history of the law around abortion and birth control and contraception, women's rights in the United States and, and how it was founded. Um, we interviewed him on our show, Free Thought Matters, and he was we were kind of chatting about this exact issue. And his, his hypothesis is that probably in about three or four years, Roe is going to be completely overturned by the Supreme Court, which if it's four years would be the on the 50th anniversary, which I would not put it past these justices to, tr to do for 
uh, you know, ceremonial reasons. Um, but I mean, abs absolutely uh, unconstitutional. Of course, a woman has a right to choose uh, for a, a significant length of time. Certainly, um, uh, certainly not something that uh, should be passed in any legislature in, in a free democratic republic democracy, however you want to define it there. People get hung up on those two words and they shouldn't. But anyway. So I think it's interesting because uh, they passed one in uh, through the Alabama House, and yeah. um, the <clears throat> lady who pushing it um, is the the representative that was pushing it real hard is from a town uh, not too far from where I live, and she, I mean, she full out admitted that she knows that it's unconstitutional. Yeah, and the no, point they're trying, get, they're trying to get the case before the Supreme Court. Supreme Court. Yes. And she admitted that straight out. And I was I was actually kind of surprised and a little impressed that she had the gall to admit that. But people don't care. Like, I don't know. I just No, it, I mean, that goes back to what I was trying to say at the beginning, which is when I was talking about the 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 complaints that we're getting at FFRF, how they seem to be getting worse. They feel emboldened and they feel entitled in a way that we have not seen ever. Um, certainly not in my lifetime, or at least not in my my memory. Uh, and and this is another area where you're seeing it. They know, they know now that they've got five justices on the Supreme Court, and they're going to do all they can to get this issue in front of them. And the judges, because Kavanaugh is such a black mark on the court, and it's just completely destroyed the moral authority of that body. They might not do anything too controversial in this area for maybe a term, maybe not. I don't know. That's the hypothesis, but I haven't really seen anything to back that up. I think I think uh, we're in for a really rough ride uh, when it comes to uh, the right to choose. Um, just uh, switching gears a little bit again, going forward, what? How would you say the best? Uh, what's the best plan to? sort of right this wrong that we made last election. Do you, do you think Trump has a, uh, a, a chance to win again? Do you think he's, yeah. you know, okay. What's the best way to, to um, defeat Trump in this election? And do you have any sort of favorites that we should keep our eye on that would uh, do the best job at reversing all the damage that Trump has done? Yeah, I mean, the number one thing people really have to do in this election is vote. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's that's the most important thing. Um, it would it would make a, a huge difference if everybody in the country did vote. Uh, I would also recommend that everybody go join the Freedom from Religion Foundation. We've got a ton of work ahead of us. Uh, you, yeah. Hey, find bookstores everywhere. You could get yourself a copy of this. You could arm yourself with all the arguments you need to rebut the number one thing that put Donald Trump into office. I mean, all the lies and myths that underlie their political ideology and theology went unchecked. And that can't happen again. Uh, and it's not enough to just refute them with the Treaty of Tripoli or say that, well, in God we trust comes from 1864, not from the founding generation. That's that's clearly not enough. If facts were enough, Donald Trump would not be president right now. You've got to arm yourself with better arguments. And that's one of the things that my book is is geared towards doing. Um, so, I mean, the other thing that people could do is is get out there and volunteer. Um, and I, as far as as far as who um, I have decided, again, this is obviously all in my personal capacity as as Andrew Seidel, not as representative of FFRF. But I got this election; it's blue no matter who. Uh, and I'm you know I'm not going to to jump on anyone's particular bandwagon until we have a 
a unified bandwagon to jump on. That's what I've decided this time. That's a good answer, I think. Um, and I think it's important too that that I know that there are uh, people, there are some in, in the chat right now that I'm thinking of off the top of my head that um, are stuck in this third party area where they 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 want that the third party but this is not the election i don't think to sort of make that that stance because i think if you a vote for the third party is a vote for in trump's favor would, would that be accurate to say i tend to think that is the case i mean i, I this is uh, this is where my mind always goes when i think about that it's i understand that that people aren't in love with either candidate um, sure. but the only person who you are going to support a hundred percent running for office is you. So if you're not on the ballot, you've got to figure out which of those people is going to be better for you and for the country. And you cannot let the, the perfect become the enemy of the good. That, that is one of the reasons that Donald Trump is president too. I, I mean, and I don't have any data the way I do for Christian nationalism to back that up, but I certainly think that was the case. And based on some of the interviews that we saw after, after last election. Um, so that, that would be, that would be my advice. Uh, if, if you want somebody that you agree with a hundred percent, then you better get off your ass and you better run for office. Otherwise, don't let the perfect be, don't let the good be the, and I already said it. I can't do it again. <laughs> which, which was, which was a, a great quote. Um, thank you. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Good. Is that it? Yes, that's it. Thank you. That's and it's a not great mine. Line. That's been floating around for a long time. It's a I'm great also, line. I'm also uh, in the hashtag blue. Uh, what did you say? Blue, no matter who. Blue no, yeah. Blue, no matter who. Yeah. You know, I'll kind of take away one liner takeaways here. I love it. Um, so I have I have one final serious question, and then um, as uh, as a constitutional attorney, it would be uh, I would be remiss if I let you uh, leave here without me asking you about my favorite uh, past my favorite group that I watch uh, in my in my downtime, which okay. are um, the uh, sovereign citizens. I just I have to I have to ask. Uh, just, just a random question about what okay. some of the things that they uh, they espouse in their videos, but if somebody is uh, either experiencing a a an injustice with either in their, in their school system, their kids' school system, um, or, or another example like that, what's the best way to get a hold of you guys at the FFRF and let you guys know so that maybe something can be done about that? Super easy. Uh, just go to FFRF.org uh, on our website. There's a tab marked legal and right under there highlighted is report a state church violation. Uh, go there, fill out the form with all the information you can. We will keep your identity confidential. Everything you report to us will be confidential. You can tell us kind of what sort of help you're looking for. Like you're not sure you want us to write a letter yet. You kind of just want to know, is this a problem? Um, that kind of thing. We also have on that same legal tab, we have a state church FAQ. No problem. <coughs> Great. Uh, oh. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at the chat. Let us know if we're back. I'm going to be watching for just a second. Uh, I'm seeing. I'm still seeing. Uh, still offline, Dave. Yeah, me too. Do you guys want Is to that take legal, questions the from the chat room too? I'd be happy to do that for a minute or two after this. Cool. Oh, we okay, are back. there it is. Okay. Um, uh, so yeah, um, uh, 
Um, Andrew just um, said that he would be willing to take uh, questions from the chat. If you do have a question, and I've, I've went through as we've gone along and people have tagged me with them and sort of try to put some aside. So if you do have a question, make sure that you leave it in the live chat and, um, and tag me or Casey, and we will be, uh, we'll be happy to ask those. Um, but I sort of, uh, I'm going to take the, the first question and I have, uh, <laughs> I have this, I have this like weird uh, obsession with watching people who call themselves sovereign citizens. And it's so funny to watch them when they're driving and they get pulled over, they use this, the sort of line where they say, I'm not driving, I'm traveling. And it's traveling. in the constitution. And, and they cite this, they cite this over and over again. Like it's, the, there's case law and, and also, so with an opportunity to talk to somebody who is a, a constitutional <laughs> attorney, could you please um, just read into it, this, this right to travel. I mean, it's not explicitly mentioned. The constitution doesn't say somewhere citizens have a right to travel. Um, our government is a government of limited powers, so it can only act on those powers that it is given and everything else, uh, our, our rights retained by the states or us, um, as citizens. And one of those rights that we retain is the right to travel. So I can only presume that that's where they are going with it. But, you know, there's this there's this kind of myth out there. And I think it's important for everybody to understand, too. And it's actually something that, that pops up in the book a little bit. Every every right that you have as a citizen, save one, can and should be limited in certain circumstances. Um, the right to travel. I mean, we throw people in jail all the time. Um, the the right to vote we take away while you're in jail. The right to bear arms. Nobody takes guns on planes. Uh, there. I mean, I recognize that they would like that to be an unlimited right in, in some cases. But um, even your free exercise of religion. Right. You. It, it, there's a fight over it right now. How broadly it should be interpreted. But you don't get to exercise your religion in a way that harms others. Right now. That that's where we've drawn the line in the past. And when they try. Well, Christian nationalists are trying to redefine it so that they can mm -hmm. exercise their religion in a way that discriminates against others, for instance. So that, that's a big fight that's happening right now. But really, the only right that you have that is absolutely unlimited is the right to think freely. Uh, that's the one expansive, un uh, completely unlimited right that you have. Uh, you can think whatever thoughts you want and uh, the government can't do anything about it, even if they have the technology and ability to. Sure. Uh, they just uh, uh, as a, uh, a quick aside to that, they they say that um, tra there's a difference between traveling and driving. Driving is when you're 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 moving for for commerce. So if there is a oh. uh, like if you're if you're going to pick up, you know, if you're going to either pick up deliveries or you have freight or whatever, then you're driving. But it's just so funny. This, it, they, they normally end with um, a, a window getting busted and the person getting tased. Because they refuse so, to come out of the car. This is reminding me of a book that Tom Nichols wrote called The Death of Expertise, which is about how um, basically modern American, uh, several different cultural trends have sort of converged to make people suspicious of experts and also think that they know more than the experts. You get the, the Dunning-Kruger effect is, is uh, a big aspect of this. But it, there, there's also in the, it sounds like these people think they're lawyers and think they understand the constitution when really they don't. There's, there's a part of the constitution called the commerce clause, um, which is one of the ways that the federal government is allowed to enact uh, more broadly sweeping legislation and regulation than they would otherwise have been able to do. Uh, and it sounds like they're trying to say that if you, if I'm not 
involved in commerce in any way, then you can't regulate what I'm doing. Maybe that's where their head's at. It doesn't yeah. hold up in any way, shape or form. But no, now I'm going to have to go and I'm going to, I can tell I'm going to end up down some weird YouTube hole. Thanks to you now. So <laughs> oh, yes. appreciate it. Just type in right to travel. And uh, it's just funny because there, there are hundreds of videos on there and they all end the same. Like uh, when I say that they end with a, a window being smashed and taste, that is not uh, exaggerating. That happens to nearly every single video. And you would think that after watching this, they would be like, well, this probably doesn't, there's probably nothing to this, but it just keeps growing. I mean, it's just, it's, it's baffling. Uh, okay. Well, the guy, uh, the hold, hold on. I have something to say sure. about this sovereign citizen right to travel thing. So sure. the guy that did my first two tattoos, he was a sovereign citizen guy. And he said, like, he was super upset about the whole idea of having to get a driver's license. And he basically mm -hmm. said the next time that his license was up, he wasn't getting another driver's license because he has the right to travel um, per the constitution. And so if he's not driving for commerce, then he is traveling and he doesn't have to get a driver's license and that making people get driver's licenses is unconstitutional. It's so yep. funny. Okay. It's not, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I was like, Oh my God, please finish these. Cause I got to it the, at one time and, and I was like, Oh my God, please finish this. And I never You're want like, to this... see you again. <laughs> This is excruciating, and it's not because of the needle. Just move on. Right, yeah. yeah. You, you are excruciating. Yeah. You're painful. We've actually had quite a few of uh, – <laughs> we've had three of them on, on this show um, to talk about various aspects of it, and they are fascinating, uh, fascinating people. Oh, I'm, I'm going to go I'm gonna go check it out. I'll have to. I'm sold. Um, the, uh, the, the first uh, question from the live chat said, um, can you ask how he would defend against a Christian nationalist uh, – taking the fact that the U.S. is not founded on Christianity and doubling down with, uh, then we will fight so that it is. So the, the idea being we're going to try to rearrange the country so that uh, Christianity is at least now put into the law. Uh, I mean, I so. to me, that that plays into the argument that I'm making, right? That that is an that is an admission then that we are not founded at, on Christianity. We are not a Christian nation. And if they are trying to warp things and redefine things so that we are, what they are doing then is un-American, as the book argues. Uh, and if they want, if I think if you point that out to them, point out that they are now explicitly admitting that uh, their their goal is this un-American goal, uh, that, that ought to, I mean, that, that actually solves a lot of the problems and you kind of don't need the book for that. <laughs> mm. Um, and, uh, then the next question says, uh, does he think that this phrase, this, this phase of Christian national nationalism will pass or is it a case of, we won't, or is it a case that we won't be able to learn from? I think, I think this, I think Christian nationalism is, I, I think it will eventually go away. Um, I think we will eventually defeat it. That morning consult poll that you cited that, people are finally starting to wake up to this as a problem is certainly something that it, it's a sign that we're, we are moving in the right direction, but really people need to arm themselves against these lies and these arguments and they need to call them out wherever they see them. In the last chapter of the book, uh, 
the whole thing is it, it's based on a single James Madison quote where he said that it's proper to take alarm at the first experiment on our liberties. And what he was saying there is he's saying you can't you can't wait uh, until your country is gone to fight for it. You've got to fight for it when you realize uh, that it's it's being stolen in the first place. Uh, and so I really that that chapter is really meant to sort of sum up the book and get people to get out there and take what they've learned and use it. I mean, this isn't just a book that you you read. Hopefully it's not for personal edification. It's something that allows you to go out there and prevent uh, uh, Donald Trump's second term. Mm. Um, the, uh, the next question uh, I've, this one's, this one's an interesting question. Um, Ask Andrew, uh, Sidegart did not, which Sidegart is a, a, a regular that we have here on the show. He is a theist. Um, he is a, a biochemist. And okay. um, he says that uh, he did not like what the Freedom From Religion Foundation did when Christians wanted to give prisoners reading material. Um, he claims that um, Freedom From Religion was not right in allowing it. Why is that the case? I'm unfamiliar with with that I would need that case yeah I would need to know more about what's going on but I can um, I I can with even without that I can tell you um that usually what happens in cases like that is prisoners ask for free thought material and because what goes in and out of a prison is often heavily regulated um they are not allowed to have for instance a copy of free thought today which is FFRF's newspaper that we publish they wouldn't be allowed a copy of the god delusion or god is not great uh where any prisoner would perfectly be able to get a copy of the bible or of the quran or some other uh, quote unquote holy book um and ffrf does try to test those rules from time to time and we have prisoners who want free thought reading material and we work to get it to them um those are the only cases where i know of we i, I don't know of an instance where we've tried to stop mm -hmm. prisoners from having access to their own bibles we have stopped programs uh, that take advantage of prisoners and, uh, for instance, encourage prisoners to convert to Christianity to get certain uh, privileges and bonuses while they're in jail. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we see all the time. Uh, and we fight back mm -hmm. against those. Uh, but that's just a question of equality and not using the jails to force religion on literally a captive audience. Uh, so sure. I oh. can say with confidence that FFRF was not wrong on that because I know the law and I know what we fight for. Why, why is it that um, books like the, the God delusion um, and the, uh, the freedom from religion foundations newsletter can't get into prisons? Well, they, they can, and that, that's the point they, they, they should not be banned. Um, but sometimes they are, uh, because all jails are run like these little fiefdoms by, um, you know, men and women who sometimes consider themselves Kings and Queens or, or tyrants. Sure. Um, they think they, they think they can do whatever they want and that the people who are under their control have no rights and have no recourse. Uh, and so they, they feel the ability, uh, some oftentimes to violate their rights. Uh, and that's just not something that we're going to, we're going to sit by and let happen even for people who are in jail. This is a, an issue that's a little close to my heart because um, I actually spent some time in um, in prison for um, drug related charges. And I saw well, the time that I was there um, that what you just said, there were special uh, special privileges given to people who did partake in sort of the uh, the religious um you know, meetings that they would have because they were yeah. numerous. They, they, they would have a different um, speaker come in nearly every night. And um, yeah. those, those people would get out <clears throat> for, you know, hours at a time. They would have like, uh, like uh, 
food, food come in the meetings. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, I, I definitely, I take that, this issue a little, a little personal. Um, what's there to do in that? Like is the freedom from religion foundation actively fighting against um, this and how do you fight uh, against that? Like what is the, the alternative to just shut down the, like the, the church, I guess altogether or to offer something for maybe people who don't believe in religion that's of equal. Yeah. Um, both both of those, depending on how bad the the, the religious program is, um, and I actually I wrote an article about this for Hemant Meta over at the Friendly Atheist. I think it was I think it was at the beginning of this year. I think it's back in January, about how re- our religions are being used to, excuse me, how our prisons are being used to drive people to religion. It's been a long day, I guess. Um, anyway, the it, it it just depends on how the programs are structured. We we certainly are willing to help people get free thought materials in. Um, we have seen free thought groups start up to sort of um, act as counterbalances to Bible studies, for instance, that have popped up in prisons. Um, a lot of prisons have chaplains, which are also pretty problematic. Uh, James Madison thought they were unconstitutional. Um, so it, it, I mean, it, it, it does just depend on, on the particular setting. And it's also, be, it's sometimes hard to fight because, um, you know, oftentimes the people's time in prison is so transient. And if they can pretend to be a Christian for, to get out of their cell every night for a couple hours and get some better food, um, you know, why is somebody yeah. going to complain about that? They're just going to put their head down and do it, which is the whole point in the first place. So it's sort of this, uh, this, this feedback loop. I did it. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I did. <laughs> I, I did it quite a few times. I, I didn't pay any attention to what was going on in the, um, the, um, but yeah, I think that's great that you guys are, doing that all right there's two questions uh left here and then um i'll read the uh the super chat that we got and um we will uh let you i know that you have a a a storm of interviews coming up soon so we definitely appreciate you taking the time to uh to join us Uh, this question says uh please ask how to work on reducing the effect of focus on the family in colorado springs government yeah, I mean that that's a that's a huge problem. I actually lived in Pueblo, Colorado, uh, for quite a while, which is just south of Colorado Springs. Uh, you know, Colorado Springs is where we had to go if we wanted to go to a decent mall and stuff like that. Um, but to me, if you are a local secular, if you are a secular American living in a very religious local community and uh, are are frustrated by its takeover of the government. Um, the, the number one thing that you can do, I think, is to start getting involved, uh, showing up at meetings, making a stink when they they pray at their meetings, calling them out on their Christian nationalism, calling them out uh, on their theocracy. Uh, you know, you watch them and you report to FFRF when there's a violation and we'll take action uh, without you know mentioning your name. Uh, we'll act on behalf of a quote unquote local individual. Uh, and it, it's it's not it's you've got to stand up. Uh, in whatever form that takes. And one of the things that everybody can do, um, even especially even if you don't live in one of these communities and you want to reach out and help somebody in one of those communities, is just to come out as a non-believer, whether you call yourself an atheist or an agnostic or or whatever. We are going to win this fight with demographics. I think I've, I've said that in several different ways uh, because there is – that we, we aren't going to rely on the courts. The courts aren't going to do it for us. We're going to win this fight with demographics and then the courts will rubber stamp it later on. And 
that means that it's up to us to come out and say, yes, I am a non-religious American. I am an atheist. I don't give a damn if you think less of me. And that thing that you just said about America being founded as a Christian nation is nonsense. And here are the reasons why. Uh, it, it's it's not enough to to be active online. I think you've got to you've got to come out publicly and do that uh, if you are able to safely. And I think if you can't, if there are people out there who legitimately can't do it safely, and which I understand, which means that for those of us who can, we actually I think we have a duty to do that. Um, one of our uh, our um, like very 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 loyal uh, patrons. Um, <laughs> sent that question in, and he said to make sure that I pass along uh, his gratitude to you for the answering that question. Oh, um, thank you. Uh, and then the, uh, this question is um, they want to ask you about what your, your thoughts on the satanic temples, new legal status is. Oh, good. Good for the satanic temple. Um, you know, I have a big red button on my desk, TST, uh, that whenever I need them to blow up a public forum, I, I just put my fist on it and Lucian comes <laughs> swooping in on bat wings, lands in FFRF headquarters, and we plot the overthrow of the government. Um, <laughs> I have a, uh, I have, I have an announcement though. Uh, I have an announcement to that, uh, related to that. I got a uh, a comment on a video yesterday that said, um, I have it right here actually, it says, uh, Kyle, I will absolutely love you forever if you can get Lucian to come on and talk about what they do with the Satanic Temple. I talked to uh, Lucian today and um, I hope you're ready to love me forever. I'll, uh, as soon as we have a, a date for that, um, I will uh, announce it, but uh, that is in the works and going to uh, happen. And, um, the last question here is from Brian. It says, uh, are there any future book projects in the works for yourself? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm batting the idea of the second book around in my head right now. Uh, I hope to have a book proposal probably drafted by the end of the year on that, depending on how uh, this book tour goes and how law review article writing goes this year. Uh, but really, I'm that's going to probably focus on this modern attempt. I mentioned it earlier to redefine religious liberty as this right to impose your religion on other people using the machinery of the state and how that's so vastly different from the way that we've understood the freedom of religion for the last 200 years and also why the so the First Amendment says that. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, that's the establishment clause, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, that's the free exercise clause. Uh, and why, if you care about the free exercise of religion, you have to care about having a secular government first. There's no freedom of religion without a government that is free from religion. A secular government is a prerequisite to genuine religious freedom. And that's something that that does not seem to be understood in this day and age. And if the Christian nationalists are successful in redefining religious freedom um, or undermining the separation of state and church, they're actually going to hurt themselves in the long run because the demographics are trending against them. Well said. Okay, now we'll move to the uh, the super chats. Um, and uh, Vandy and Cajun Crustacean sent a super chat without any message. Thank you very much. Um, uh, my lovely co-host's other half, Godless Engineer, says, um, <laughs> by the way, are you guys still married, Casey? 
Yes, we're still married. It's been um, a little over a month. Hmm? Oh my gosh, congratulations. <laughs> I forgot I, yeah, I did see that. Yeah, congratulations. That's yeah. so exciting. Kyle, you're one for one on your uh, yeah. on your I know ministry there. Kyle married us. Kyle actually came oh, down here. Awesome. It, it, yeah. Yeah, I am a I am an ordained minister, so um, very yes. nice. <laughs> Which is so funny. Was, the the irony is amazing. Yeah. Um, but uh, God's engineer says, uh, Andrew, how can we fight for separation of church and state? Join FFRF. Uh, buy no, I don't even look. I don't even care if people buy my book. Read my book. Go to the library and borrow it. Read it. Understand the arguments and start employing them. And do not be afraid to stand up in public against these religious bullies and these Christian nationalists. Um, if you if you see something, say something. Report it to FFRF. We'll, we're happy to take action on your behalf. Uh, but those are the kind of the big things. Uh, join FFRF. We, as I mentioned earlier, it's not just about getting membership dues. We need your your voice to be joined with FFRF's voice so that we have more influence. Um, you know, we just hired our first full-time lobbyist on Capitol Hill. When that person goes into offices to try to convince congressmen and women to do the right thing, it's going to be much more powerful if they can say we have 500 or 5,000 members in Alabama than if we have 50. Uh, so it, mm -hmm. it really is important to join so that you're, you are counted as one of our members. Um, and then arm yourself with the right kind of arguments, um, not just the facts. I believe, and I'll uh, say I it by his <laughs> yes, bye. Thank you. I'll say it. <laughs> Available at fine bookstores everywhere, but I don't I was gonna say, just Kay read it. Casey, your uh, you, uh, your, uh, you and Engineer's quote would be a good answer to that too, if you want to put that out there. Oh, our tagline. Tag mm -hmm. Yeah, stand up and use your voice. We actually, um, oh, yeah, we actually have, yeah, we've we we've had bracelets for a long time. One side says stand up, and the other side says. Use your voice. Awesome. And, yeah, I mean, um, that's, that is phenomenal advice. It really is mm -hmm. important. Yeah. And again, you <laughs> know, I, I, even even using your voice to come out of the closet as a non-believer is super important. There, there was a study done a while back that looked at people who uh, changed their mind on gay marriage. So people who were once opposed um, but then became for gay marriage. And they looked at that demographic and said, okay, well, what was the number one thing that made you change your mind? And by, by far the biggest group change their minds because simply because they knew somebody who was gay that was it mm -hmm. um yeah it wasn't a reasoned argument it, wasn't like it was just knowing somebody who was gay and it's much easier to hide being an atheist than i think it is hide to hide being gay and we need to stop hiding you need to come out of the closet and say again i'm an atheist and i don't give a damn if you think less of me it's really important yep. when well, i i think great it's advice. i think it's great to normalize i think normalizing yep. um people who are not religious is really important because I mean, it, I didn't really come across this much anywhere except for in Alabama, but like here people automatically think less of me mm -hmm. when they find out that I'm not religious. And there are people, I don't know what they teach in churches down here. Well, yes, I do. I know some of what they teach in churches down here because people legit think that like, there was there was one uh, lady that came up to me in the cafeteria at work um, a couple of weeks ago, and she said, "I want to apologize to you." And I was like, "What? Why?" And I have a lot of there are like seven thousand people that work in the complex that I work in, so I didn't I know I'm familiar with her, but I don't mm -hmm. I don't know her well. Um, but she said, "For the last two years, 
I've thought that you worship Satan because I found out you were an atheist. And I was like, no. And she she went and told me her story about how she learned about it. And she met some atheists and they kind of talked to her about it. And and so it really does make a difference. Also, I've heard that uh, I sat the the a lady that used to sit in the cubicle right next to me um, thought that I went home from work, like after work during the week and just sacrificed small animals to Satan in my basement. Nope. <laughs> so, so I think wow. that having like people, people knowing that you're an atheist and seeing that you're just a normal human like they are is, is I think that's critical in, in it, turning people's thought processes around. No, you're, you're a hundred percent right. And that is, that is exactly why it is so important. Just being out there, being a nice normal person who happens to be an atheist and eats babies on Sunday nights. It's that's the way that we're going to change minds. And we only do it on Sunday once a week. It's no big deal, right? Um, <laughs> there are, uh, there are just, uh, there are actually two comments and then a question. And, uh, th this question is from zero one, three, two, one, three, two. He says, why can't I buy your book in ebook form for another week? That's just rude. I think they're chomping at the bit. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about this before the show. There was a hiccup with, I don't know what happened, but they had to shift the publication date back uh, a week. So I'm very sorry. It was supposed to be this week, but um, you could pre-order it and then it'll just pop right up on your Kindle. Uh, and you'll, then you'll, you'll have forgotten about it by then because we're so used to instant gratification and it'll be like getting a present. So I, you should definitely do that right now. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, you'll be able to do that with uh, through the link in the description below. Um, in the last two comments, Larry Walter Jr. says, thank you, Andrew, for taking the years to put together this information to arm us with facts against the resounding fiction. My and, pleasure. Uh, thank you. And then Dr. Zaya says, great show, great guest, great topic, way to go, guys. Well, I couldn't agree more. I think this was, uh, this was fantastic. Well, thank you so I, much for having I, me on. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the conversation. Hopefully we can do it again sometime. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you, Casey? and you can buy in. You, well, I just want to say you can buy Andrew's book on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Also, um, on the FFRF website, you can buy your book there. Do you still have that thing going where they can get signed copies? Because I saw I got an email yeah. about that. Yeah. So if yeah. you buy through the FFRF website, when you go through the checkout process, there's a, a place to like add a note. And if you say that you want a signed copy, um, I will sign it. And if you have something specific that you really want written in there and put it in that that note in there, there's a good chance that'll end up in the book as well. Uh, it's a little more expensive at FFRF than compared to Amazon or Barnes and Noble, but you're also then supporting FFRF and the work we do. So that's pretty cool too. And I'm donating all the royalties for the book that are sold through FFRF. I'm donating, donating back to FFRF uh, because I believe in the work that we do so much. So Shit, really now I'm cool. going to have to buy two copies of the book because I already pre-ordered it through Amazon. I'm going to have to go get one from FFRF. <laughs> Look, I think everybody should do that and they should donate one to their public library so that other people can go and get it and read it. It's important. I, I, and and if you want to like as an as a supporter of my work, go out there and tell your library that they should ban and burn my book and make a big public stink about it. I would be OK with that, too, actually, because that'd probably be the best way to sell a ton of books would be to get it banned somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, right. a That's a good idea. That and people would be like, I don't know what this is all about. Or oh, who was that guy? Uh, what was his, I don't remember Terry something. The guy who burned the the yeah. Korans in Koran. Florida. Need to get that yeah. guy up and running on burning my book, and then that would be a yeah. uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> Did he wind up doing that? Uh, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> that's a great uh, that's a great PR campaign. I think you, I know. I I, I, I got to call Sterling right now, Sterling Publishing, and and uh, get <laughs> figure out how to do this. So unless anybody out there wants to go ahead and do a guerrilla campaign for me, I, I like the idea about the donating one to um, a public library. That's that's that should definitely happen. So, uh, Casey, do you have anything uh, coming up that you want to put out there? No, but I totally think you should buy this shirt that's on the screen right now. Yeah, um, I was getting ready to. Uh, I was getting ready to talk about that. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, no, tomorrow, there's a reason this is up there. Tomorrow, uh, I'm going to be releasing. Uh, as many of you know, I went to the uh, the Faithless Forum in Dallas two weeks ago, and I was on a panel. I moderated a panel, and uh, in between those two, there was um, a some drama that went on with me on stage, and just luck of the draw happened to get. A, a gnome uh, outfit that I had to wear when I was doing this interview. Um, you'll be able to see that actually tomorrow. I'll be uh, hopefully releasing that video of the panel and uh, that I was on and the the gnome incident, as we're, we're calling it. But um, available in the, in the merch shop is uh, this, this discount gnome uh, T-shirt. So for all of you who have been literally emailing me on a every other day basis, there you go. Uh, just, Andrew, just to let you know, uh, I got a a comment a long time ago when I first started doing YouTube um, that has l stuck with me uh, to this day, um, and it said all it said was, "You look like a discount garden gnome," and it just crushed me. <laughs> I have no idea where that comes from, what that even means, why I can't just I be a regular. Yeah, gnome. I don't really know what it means, and I don't think it's true, but it's a pretty fun, uh, creative burn. Like I, I appreciate it. I, I get why it had it staying is. power. It is. Um, and so that's been the running joke um, with me. And and just at this forum that I was speaking at, we had to pick random costumes and uh, like interview an audience member. <laughs> and of course, I picked out, I just reached in and picked up and it was a, a big pointy hat with a beard. It was a gnome. So it's like, maybe there is a god and he's got a really good sense of humor. Well, that's like, that's like saying your mom is a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. It's just up there with, you know, Monty Python well, that's, slapstick. That's very specific. What? That's very specific. <laughs> okay. All right. Make sure you get the make sure you get the book. The Holy um, and uh, and and uh, if you can't support the uh, Freedom from Religious Foundation, they do important work, and it's important that we make sure they are able to continue to do that great work. I want to personally thank uh, Andrew for taking the time to come on here and talk about his book and what they do at the FFRF. Um, you are a uh, you are somebody that is an asset to not only this community, but to the country as a whole. And I think that you are a, an unsung hero and deserve a lot more credit than you probably get. Um, but well, thank you for doing what you do. Praise. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I really do. Absolutely. And Casey, always a pleasure to see you. Yes. You too. And, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and don't forget to stand up and use your voice. <laughs> That's right. We'll see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Bye, y'all.